This morning we're reading from Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. Just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them, Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. This is the Word of God for the people of God. God. This is perhaps the most well-known story Jesus ever told. It has a place in our culture like none other. You hear people in casual conversation or on news reports saying, well, he or she was a good Samaritan without reference to Jesus or this story at all, because it's known that what they're getting ready to tell us is a story about a person who took some extraordinary action to do good on behalf of someone else. They were a good Samaritan. We know the story, and yet before we get to the story in the text today, there is this question asked by a lawyer to Jesus about eternal life and what must one do to gain eternal life. Rather than answering the question, Jesus puts a question back to him. What do you read? What's in the law? The man gives the right answer. He states what in many Christian circles is now called the great commandment. You've heard it before. It comes out of the Hebrew scriptures. It was part of their tradition. He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus affirms them and says that is the right answer. But the man apparently needs something more, is looking for something else because instead of just accepting the praise and affirmation that he got it right, he wants to ask another question. And who is my neighbor? And who is my my neighbor and Jesus rather than giving an answer begins the story in verse 30 a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him beat him and went away leaving him half dead 
And that's where we move into this classic parable provider, storyteller of Jesus. So often in his ministry, rather than giving direct answers, he told stories. Our best biblical scholars say that probably the most authentic words we have in the Gospels from Jesus are the ones captured in the parables. They are at the heart of who he is and what he's teaching and what is being revealed through him by God. He's telling us what is at the heart of his ministry and therefore telling us what is being revealed through him. In these moments where he's telling stories, he's at his most inventive and imaginative and I would say revelatory self where he's revealing to us what he is all about and what he believes God is doing through him and in all of that giving us a glimpse of the very nature of God. And our story today, rather than giving a single answer, he tells a story. But remember, the story is in response to this question about living eternally with God and living lovingly with neighbor. And those can be pretty complex issues over a lifetime. We have to be able to apply our faith in different situations to do that well. So rather than just giving a single answer or giving a definition, Jesus tells this story. These stories that Jesus tells tend to expand the mind, challenge the soul, and prod the conscience or faith of the listener. They cause us to think. They get our attention. So he begins this one by saying this fellow's on a trip and he gets the living daylights beat out of him. He's left to be half dead. But then he goes on and says, now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. We have these two people who would have been seen as upstanding citizens, pillars of the community, walking down the road, seeing that there might be a problem and going on. I think most of us could think of a situation or maybe have recently been in a situation that was scary, that we could tell something was going wrong and we were wary. We were trying to figure out how to keep and be safe. We talk about safety and security all the time. We've had to change how we deal with this in churches and schools and businesses Common wisdom would say, if you're coming by a guy who's bleeding, has been beat up, there's probably trouble close at hand, maybe you should go by on the other side. So often we cast the priest and the Levite as somehow self-absorbed and uncaring individuals. I wonder if maybe they were just scared. I mean, there's someone bleeding. If I go over to help, I might be the next victim. Or what if it's just a setup and the robbers are still co close by trying to draw me in, and if I go over there, I will be the next victim. I can sympathize with their sense of fear and danger and desire to move on down the road. All of us have probably told our children or someone else about how to stay safe. 
I think we know what these situations are like. I think we can think of situations maybe we can remember when we have been in one, but we can identify a problem situation and yet be afraid to get more deeply involved. Some of you remember Bishop Robert Snazy. He was here a few months ago to do our lectureship. He did a great sermon that Sunday morning about how we graze our way away from the faith and away from God, you may remember it. But on the last night he was with us, he asked me, could I move away from a lecture or a sermon per se and just tell a story? And I said, sure. He said, now it'll be a story that helps us reflect on faith, but if it's okay with you, I just want to tell this story. And it was a memorable story. You might remember it. It was about himself it happened when he was early in his ministry. He was pastor at First Methodist in McAllen, Texas. He says he was sitting in his office one day at work, and he heard somebody come in the front door and begin to speak to the secretary, but she was speaking Spanish. He knew the secretary didn't speak Spanish, but he did. He could hear some of the conversation. She was looking for a priest. He went out and introduced himself, and he spoke a little Spanish, communicated with her, and invited her into the office. She said she needed a priest. He tried to explain that he wasn't a priest, but that he was a pastor. But that was not her real concern. Her real concern, her question was, do you baptize babies? And he said, well, yes, I baptize babies. And she said, will you baptize my baby? And he said alarms went off in his head because he'd heard these stories about how people from the other side of the border come into the U.S. to get their child baptized, and they ask for a baptismal certificate, and they use those documents in the immigration process. And he said, all of a sudden, my mind was spinning, and I was asking more about the baby, and where is the baby, and why this church, and when is this baptism? He said, finally, he'd gotten himself so worked up. He said, I just need to think about this a few moments by myself. Would you mind stepping back in and having a seat in the lobby? The young woman got out and moved to the lobby, and he closed the door. He says he went straight to the phone, picked up the phone, called one of his friends who's an immigration attorney, and he began to spill out the story of how this young woman had come, and she was asking about baptism. And he began to wonder about immigration and documents and what was legal and illegal, and he might get in trouble. His friend let him pour out his whole story, and then he said, Robert, you are not a government official. Why are you getting all caught up in the questions about immigration? She's asked you about baptism. You are a pastor. Stay focused on that. He said immediately he knew his friend was right. That he had lost a sense of his calling, the sense of priorities. So he went right back out, opened the door, went out to speak to the young woman to tell her that he was ready to arrange the baptism. She was gone. Later in the evening, Bishop Snazy shared that the baptism that he never did was the most important baptism he was ever associated with in his entire ministry. So often, our fears lead us astray. We let our fears get the best of us. 
Certainly our fear instinct is something that's come up through evolution that's helped us stay safe and alive and perpetuated the species, if you will. When you start reading about fear, you realize people are afraid of lots of things, big things like border security or terrorism or crime or poverty. But are just about as afraid as a lot of little things like spiders or snakes or getting trapped in small places or facing a needle getting ready to go into your arm. We're afraid of the dark and of fire and of blood. We're afraid of flying on airplanes. I was recently on a plane. There was a young woman I did not know seated just behind me, one row and across the aisle. She had never flown before. She was scared to death. She was all but in a panic. She was about to hyperventilate. Every time there was a sound, she'd say, what's that? Loud enough for all of us to hear. The woman next to her was being very patient. I don't know if she knew her or not. She would always say, it's going to be all right. Take a deep breath. It's fine. But this woman had let her fear get the best of her and run her entire flight, I think. We can be afraid of so many things that it can overwhelm us or overcome us. Sometimes we have fears and we deal with them pretty well and in pretty healthy ways. And other times we have fears and it just begins to eat us up and lead us astray. Jesus is inviting us to think about more than our fears when we make decisions about who is my neighbor. We're asking the question, how best do I love my neighbor? And as so often happens with Jesus and the stories about his life or the stories that he's telling, just about when we think we haven't figured out what he's going to say, the person who should be the villain ends up being the role model, the hero or the heroine. In verse 33, after the two fellows have passed by on the other side, Jesus says, but a Samaritan, while traveling, came near him, and when he saw him, he was moved with pity. Jesus is a Jew. He's speaking to Jews. Everyone would know Samaritans can't be heroes. Just a quick reminder, the Jews despised the Samaritans. They just lived across the border from each other. The Jews had two kingdoms, north and south. The northern kingdom was conquered by the Assyrians at one point. Some of those Israelites intermarried with some of those Assyrians. They become the Samaritans. The Jews in the southern kingdom decide they have betrayed the faith. They've betrayed their people. They're heretics. And even though they live close together, they want nothing to do with one another. And yet Jesus says, a Samaritan, a good Samaritan, is the one with the big heart, is the one moved with pity, or some translations say compassion. It's the Samaritan, not the one you expect, not the pillar of the community, the one you despise that is full of compassion and kindness and mercy. Apparently, compassion and love and kindness can overcome our fears. The good news here is that the power of God's love working in our hearts can empower us to embody kindness even 
in the face of fear. Now, all three men face the same circumstances as they're traveling down the road, but only one stops. Only one is so moved with pity. Verse 34, Jesus tells us what the man does. He went to the man who had been beaten and bandaged his wounds, having poured oil and wine on them. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. He goes on to say not only does he take care of him, but he leaves money for the innkeeper to continue his care for as long as he needs it, saying, when I come back by, I'll pay for everything. He's taking care of the man. He's putting love or kindness or mercy or compassion if you will into action the lawyer who asked the question confesses as much at the very end after jesus finishes the story he asked the man which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers he said the one who showed him mercy the one who showed him mercy the one who acted it is not just who is my neighbor but who was a neighbor who acts as a neighbor the answer is the one who showed mercy and how does jesus conclude he says to the man go and do likewise go and do likewise you have heard it probably as much as I was saying that 90% of getting a job done is showing up. I heard a pastor once say 90% of doing Christian justice work is just showing up, being willing to be present. I've been in situations where I've walked on the other side. Maybe you have too. But Jesus reminds us, love God and let God love you. Let God shape you and fill you. Let God lead and guide and empower you. Because then you can love your neighbor. Then you can show kindness. Then you can show mercy. Then you can show up. Amen. And thanks be to God.